We're looking forward to the mystery of Christianity, part number five. And tonight's going to be very special because it's, it's stuff I've had for a while written down, but I haven't dealt with it yet. And uh, I mentioned it last week that I was going to dive into it. And I hope it's a blessing. I hope it's a help. My mom asked me this week, she said, why are you talking about leadership whenever the people in your church aren't pastors and preachers? And I thought it was a good question. And I wanted to respond to that by saying that there's so many things that have been hidden over the years because pastors won't preach about pastor stuff because uh, we felt like it wasn't necessary. But the truth is I've met so many people who have been hurt by leadership in church that they've given up or they don't see that they can believe again in church. And so I'm trying to bridge that gap. And I'm trying to help people know out there in the community that if you've been damaged or hurt, that you can start over and start again. Also, we've got future ministers in this church that need to learn and need to grow. That, that no matter whether you're a pastor or you're a leader or you're a Sunday school teacher, it all applies because somebody looks up to you. And if someone looks up to you, then you have to be careful not to damage those who are beneath you. And so that's why this is so important. It helps all of us to be accountable. It helps me to be accountable to the Word of God. I mean, if it's in the Bible, why skip over it? If it's in the Bible, why not teach it? It's obviously there because we need to learn about it altogether. And I think it will help us have healing and closure in so many ways. So part number five, part number five, and uh, we're going into Jesus sent followers. Jesus sent followers. I think that's interesting phrase. I want you to say that Jesus sent followers. I think it's interesting phrase because Jesus said, follow me. And then he said, go away. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny because it sounds almost bipolar that Jesus would be like, hey, follow me. All right, that's enough. Go away. <laughs> I guess we've all had moments like that where it's like, okay, that's close enough. You can leave now. Jesus told his, his disciples to follow him. And then eventually he commands them to leave, to go, to be sent. And I think that the two go hand in hand perfectly. And they create a beautiful balance that we have to understand because I think you can get this out of balance and I think you can do it wrong more in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that, that preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons because they were sent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They were sent away from Jesus and they did things like Jesus. I want to make sure it's very clear tonight. They did not have to be around Jesus to be like Jesus. This is where the whole key between submission and dependency comes in. And tonight I want to clarify the difference between submission and dependency because as leaders, there are people that thought their church was submissive when truly their church was dependent. And there is a massive, there is a massive difference between submission and dependency, and we are not supposed to have churches full of dependent people that can't walk, can't talk, can't pray, can't fast, can't do miracles, can't teach Bible studies. This has never been the will of God for the church. It's not biblical. It's not scriptural. So I just want to make sure we understand that. In the very offset, we are supposed to first be followers. Everybody say followers. And secondly, eventually, you will become, you become sent. So Jesus said, you can be seated if you're standing. Jesus said, follow me. He said, do everything I do. Go where I go. Listen to me. He said, copy me. Sit by me. I want you to experience everything that I am. This was the first commandment, to follow Jesus. Now, I've told you before, he did not command love. He did not command these men to love him because Jesus knew that love is a byproduct of relationship and proximity. Love is a byproduct of just hearing him talk. 
You can't not love Jesus unless you're pretty evil or messed up when you hang out with him. He is lovable. He's easy to love. Now, he's also truth and righteousness. So if you've got sin and want to be sinful, you'll probably hate him and want to kill him like they did in the Bible. But for the most part, if you have pure heart and pure intentions, you would fall in love with Jesus Christ. But first, you have to follow him because following is where the discipleship comes in. Following is where you learn how to be a Christian. You have to be with him in order to know how to be away from him. You have to. That you have no qualifications to ever depart and go do ministry unless you've spent ample amount of time spending time at his feet. I worry about people who go too soon. I worry about people who say, I'm ready to get out there and do something with my, my walk with God. But the problem is, is you're not done learning. You're not done experiencing. And this is why you have failure to launch because you won't be discipled. You won't submit. You won't listen. You won't say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Whatever the word says, I'll do it. And this is why you eventually you feel the temptation to go off on your own because you're not sent. And therefore, you have to go do things on your own without a covering, without an umbrella, without protection. And so notice here in the Bible that Jesus first commands following and then he will send you when you're ready. He will send you when you're ready. If he has not sent you, do not go. Don't do it. Don't leave. And I'm going to tell you, if he has not sent you, you won't want to go. You won't want to go up against the devils. Because where did he send them to? He sent them up against the sickness. He sent them up against the Satan. He sent them up against high powers. Trust me, you don't want to go if you're not sent because you will get messed up in the battle trying to fight without a covering of authority over your ministry. It will destroy you and your family and your future. Too many people have been itching to go and they had no authority behind them sending them and they didn't want to be a follower. They just wanted to be the power of Jesus and never submit like Jesus. So after this extended time of sitting and listening and learning at the feet of Jesus, hearing his every word, watching every miracle, something bipolar happens. Jesus looks at him and says, go. To the same men he said, follow, he eventually says, I'm sending you. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, we, we wanted to be with you. You said follow you. Now what is this? This is not Jesus changing his mind. This is Jesus fulfilling his plan. This is Jesus. This is the reason Jesus wanted you to follow in the first place. Because the end game of following correctly is to be sent. This is the end game. The whole purpose of being close to him is to eventually be able to go out and leave him and leave the hub, the Jerusalem, and get out to the outermost parts of the earth. Because what good does it do to stay beside Jesus? Jesus can help those people. Well, who are you going to bless by, beside Jesus? Jesus is there. If there's going to be a miracle, Jesus will do it. So the only way to spread Jesus is to get away from the following long enough to let someone else see Jesus in your life. There has to be a moment of transition after you're ready, after you're sent. So I, I think it's strange to send out followers. How can they be followers if they are not around the one they're following? In order to understand this, we must have to understand this. There's a difference in submission and dependency. And that's what I want to spend a lot of time tonight talking about. They look the same on the surface. You see, you really can't tell on the surface because on the surface, dependent people look the same as submissive people. They're both doing what you say. They're both looking to you for, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I'll do whatever you say. 
A submitted person looks to their leader for direction, while a dependent person looks to their leader for survival. There's a big difference. They both need and want the leader. The difference is one thinks I can't make it without you, and the other thinks, the submitted one thinks, I can make it with your support. There's a massive difference. A dependent person is beat down. A dependent person doesn't believe they can do anything unless their pastor's with them, unless Jesus is literally in the flesh walking and holding their hand. They don't think they can do anything by the power of the Holy Ghost. And this is the reason why it's tempting for an apostolic pastor to beat his people down and call it submission because he doesn't have any clue how to get people to do what he wants except through fear. So you look the same on the surface. They look like the crowd is following the leader. It looks that way. But this dependent person is simply trying to survive because they haven't been taught anything and they have to have that leader to do everything for them. They both need their leaders, but for very different reasons. The main difference between submission and dependency is distance. How far can you get from your leader? Because most leaders who are insecure, most leaders who operate through dependency will never let the people that they're training get very far away. Stay real close to me. Stay real close to me. You see, here's the, bit, here's the difference. Submission empowers you to perform not around your leader. That's where you live. That's where you work. That's your marriage. That's your ministry. That's every other hour during the week except the four you spend at Austin First Church. Whenever you are submitted, then you can go be powerful, not at church. Submission sends people out. They're not crazy and rebel and rogue. No, not at all. They're actually a copy of Jesus on the forefront of the battle in the middle of the war. And that's what we need in this hour. We need submitted people who are sent and empowered to perform away from their pastor and pastor's wife. Not just when they're around, not just when they're watching, not just when they're sneaking in the window to see what you're doing. That's dependency. That's not submission. But dependency, it requires you to perform only when you're under the oversight, shadow of your leader. Now, you're not going to do it unless I approve. You better make sure and text me before. You better make sure and ask my permission. You better make sure I'm there. Because I just don't know if you can handle this without me. See how you put that doubt in the mind of the follower to make sure they need you? It's a great tactic to grow your church. The problem is no one in your church is powerful. And this is the one way many leaders have felt, I don't know how to get control of the body except for beating them down to make them think they're nothing without my ministry. And there have been many people out there that have hurt many people. And here was their intention. Their intentions, while maybe somewhat pure, their intentions were to create submission. And this is not how Jesus created submission. Jesus never created submission by beating people down. He taught them, he trained them, and then he trusted them enough to send them. And the sending says it all. The sending says it all. So they say things like this, the dependent leader. Hold on, 
Let me see, let me watch, let me correct, let me do it. I don't think you can. You might mess it up. Let's make sure. And during the season of training, this should be the case. In many ways, you have to have training. You have to have correction. You have to have the moment of let's, let, me do, let me help you. But eventually, you have to hands off, back up, and let the person get their own wings and make their own mistakes and get out there on their own so that they can learn the lessons for themselves. The need to micromanage your followers is an indictment on yourself. Think about it for a second. If I have to do your job and I trained you, whose fault is that? If I have to finish what you couldn't finish because and I trained you? If, if I have to lay the floors when you get done and redo them and I trained you how to lay floors, whose fault is that? It's the, it's the leader's fault. Micromanaging is an indictment against the manager. Because if you've truly discipled the people, then they won't have to have you always present looking over their shoulder every time they're working in ministry. And if we keep people locked up in our churches, uh, micromanaging everything they do, it's simply the byproduct of not training them correctly. And anytime there's micromanaging in an organization, it's because of a lack of training. Our job should be to make sure our people are strong and Christian and they know the Word, know how to pray, know how to fast, because then I won't have to worry about what you're doing behind closed doors in private because you've been trained how to be powerful. You've been trained how to live a Christian life when nobody watches you. This takes the load off of me to worry about how you're living your life when I'm not around. So you know what we do at Austin First Church with our ministry? We train you. And then we send you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We send you. What is the purpose of church? It's for training. It's to make sure that we know what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong so that we can send you back out because you are the ministry to the world. I'm pretty sure the Bible said that Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. Yeah. You see, deep down, leaders want control and they fall for the trap of thinking that the church members are more their sheep than Jesus' sheep. But uh, Jesus told Peter, one of the last things he said to Peter, feed my sheep. In fact, he said it like this, you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Hey, why don't you feed my sheep? He made it very clear, Peter, they're not your sheep. You know, how do you treat something that's not yours? If you borrow somebody's mower, or God forbid, somebody's bass boat, that's probably like the climax in the man world. You just don't let people borrow your bass boat. If you let someone borrow your bass boat, you baby it. And what Jesus was making very clear in that statement was, Peter, you better take care of my sheep. I just gave my life for them. I died for them. You better be careful how you treat them because they're not yours. Remember when you preach, they're not yours. Remember when you get angry, they're not yours. Remember whenever you have a bad day, those are not your sheep. They're my sheep. And every pastor and every leader and every church should remember those are not our sheep. I didn't die for them. I didn't give my life for them. Jesus did. They're his sheep. He needs to be the one to run his church. I got another one for you in 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders of the church were commanded not to be lords over God's heritage. Don't you lord over God's heritage. That's God's heritage. 
Yeah, you can be an oversight. You can be an advisor, he said. You can be a guide, but don't you be their master. They are not your slaves. They are not slaves. They are sons and they are daughters of the king of kings. Those are not your slaves to control. I want you to tell the elders of every church, you don't beat them like some lord over a heritage. Those are not your, that's not your heritage. That's my heritage. This needs to be a reminder in every preacher, pastor, and leader, and God forbid, it, it doesn't matter what you are in church. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a department leader. Those are not your people. You can't talk to them like you want to talk to them. You can't have your way with them. You don't speak for God. He speaks for himself. You speak the word and let God do the rest. We are not lords over God's heritage. God will raise them up and God will bring them down. The only time you should ever be correcting someone is because, A, you've been given the authority, or number two, the Holy Ghost told you to. And if the Holy Ghost told you to, you better make sure the Holy Ghost told you to. I want to summarize it like this. Sheep will never listen to the pastor if they're not submitted to the master. What am I trying to control you for? You're not mine. You know, you know who I belong to, too? I belong to him also. See, I'm doing what he wants me to do, and my job and my goal is to be the pastor. And I answer to God for that. I talk to him, he talks to me, and he tells me how to lead you. But at the end of the day, he also talks you into following me. I don't talk you into following me. That's your prayer life. That's your fasting. That's your conviction. It's not my job to make you follow me. It's my job to tell you where we're going and for you to get a conviction about it and join the train because it's leaving the station, heading to revival, and you have got to have a conviction and a prayer life on your own. I can't make you. I can't make you follow me. All I can do is preach and pray and love, and you have to decide with your walk with God. But so many pastors are so insecure. I've got to make sure these people do what I say. No, I don't. I'm going to make sure I please him. And if I please him, he will make sure that you do what I say because he knows that when all of us are in sync to our head, we will all go the same direction without fighting, without bitterness, without complaint because we're all answering to the same master. We're fitly joined together. I used to ask things like this in passing when I was younger in ministry. So, so how would I get people to go to church all the time? And people would just laugh. <laughs> because, you know, you have a roll, you have a roll of 250 and 200 people show up. And, and I've always wondered, how come we can't get everybody here in one service? Which is probably good around here if we don't, because we wouldn't have room for everybody on our roll. Right? Most churches probably wouldn't. But the truth is, is we have to look at these things. I've looked at these things and I've asked questions over the years like, how can I get everybody in my church to pray? There's got to be a secret remedy. You, you, you think this when you're, in, you're a pastor. You think, well, how can I get everybody to worship more? Some people just stare at me. Maybe I can just figure out a way to get everybody to worship more. How can I get everybody, how can everybody to live holy? I mean, I tell them to, but how can I make them live holy? See how we sound? How can I make, how can, how can I? Oh, is that how it works? Is, that we, uh, is this how it works? I, I make you worship? I, uh, just a man, make you worship? I have the power to make you whole? No. This is not how it works. This is what we talk. 
This is how we live. It's how we think. A mere man cannot make people do anything. But God, but God can move a mountain into the sea. God can do the miracle signs and wonders. God can speak to a heart. With God, all things are possible. But with man, it's not possible. So I can't make anybody do anything. But God's spirit can move the most hurting heart, the most hard heart. And melted. How can I get people to give financially? That's not my problem. That's your problem, Lord. That's God's problem how we pay these bills. That's God's problem how you do your tithes and offer. That's not my problem. God's going to take care of me because you know what? I do my part for, to please God. God's got me and my family, but the key is I can't make anybody in this church do anything, and it's time that we all learn this is not our church. Jesus said, and I will build my church upon a rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This thing is stronger when I'm not in charge of it. He said, I will build my church. He said, I will build my church. This church belongs to Jesus, not to the pastors over the checkbooks. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And he must take control. And we must step back and follow his leading. So now I realize this more and more that I don't do it. I don't control it. God controls it. And I have to flow in the Holy Ghost. And as a pastor, I've learned, and I hope every pastor will learn, every leader will learn. As a leader, my goal is to bridge you to the master, not to become your, your master. My goal is to let you see the way to him, because when you get to him, you'll have no problem with me. You know why you got problems with people? Because you're not, you're not connected to him. Getting connected to Jesus will fix your people problems. But, but I... I Pastors, people will always drive you up a wall until you're connected to the master. Because the only way to deal with the people that you don't like or people that are stepping on you or people that are hurting you is to get full of the master because the master has a way of dealing with every situation and fixing every problem. So my goal as pastor is to be a bridge for you to get to Jesus. That's why I call fast days. It fixes a lot of attitudes. What are we going to talk about? You're carnal. You think I'm going to have a discussion with you when you're carnal? You think I'm going to try to debate you when you're full of the flesh? You think I'm going to sit down in my office and counsel with you whenever you can't put the Twinkie down just for one hour and you've got to keep on having food every day? Now I want you to go on a fast and I want you to break your flesh down because I can't fix your problems. Only your God can fix your problems. And my goal is to be a bridge between you not eating, you eating, and you not eating. My goal is to be a bridge when you never praying and starting to pray. You never reading your Bible and starting to read your Bible. Because when I link you to Jesus, he'll fix everything wrong with you. I won't do it. He'll do it. He'll fix you. He'll clean you up. I'm just going to show you where he's at. I'm going to show you his address. I'm going to tell you about his goodness. I'm going to tell you about his mercy. I'm going to tell you what he wants from you. But you, you'll have to get to him. And he'll fix everything wrong. It's all about Jesus Christ. He's the builder of the church. He'll make all things right. We have to remember that tonight. We are not in control. I want to discuss the two leadership styles more in detail now. You see, you get control either through submission or dependency. And pastors think deep down, I have to have control of this church. And while there is truth, no matter whether you're pastor or whether you're over any department in a church, you think, I need to get control of this situation. 
And there is some truth to that, no doubt. You don't want everybody just, you know, jumping on their head during the whole meeting and kicking windows out. I mean, you've got to have some sense of control, but that's probably, you picked the wrong people to be on your team. That's probably the first problem right there. The issue lies in how they go about getting the control, the pastors. So everybody wants to have that sense of control and unity, and that's, that's biblical. The question, the issue is not about that. The question is how you get it. How do you get everybody to listen to you? You can do it through fear. Sure. The problem with that is it doesn't last, does it? It doesn't last, does it? You know, there was a day, there was an hour, when the church would preach on hell, fire, and brimstone every week. Where are all those backsliders right now that were scared for a couple days? And then they, they say that kind of preaching works. Where are they all at? Because that's what y'all got for years. Where are they at? Now, we, we should preach it because it's in our Bible. We don't skip over it. I've preached on hell. I talk about hell. But to say that the fear is the greatest way for us to have people come into the kingdom, that's not true. Obviously, it's not true because it didn't work because a lot of our elders' kids aren't in church. What happened to them? They grew up under the best days of the church. Best days of the church. But they backslid. Where are they at? Because you can't cause fear to control people. It doesn't work long term. It works for a weekend. It works for a week. But people forget fear. They don't forget love. They don't forget love. Love is more convicting than fear. Because love eats at you. Whenever you're nailing him to a cross and he says, forgive them, it eats at you. You can't put it down. You can't walk away. You can't forget it. Because everybody knows that love will always be more powerful than fear. Love. So, how do we get control? That's the question. The insecure leader thrives on ignorant followers. They like dumb people. Dumb people are like dumb sheep. Now, I want all y'all here Sunday. Okay, Pastor. Just like zombies. Everything you say, you do it. They love that. Deep down, they think they have control because no one knows how to do anything but command A, B, C, and they're like remote controls. Everything the pastor says, they do it. The only problem is they never do anything but what the pastor says. Yeah, they're like micromanaged, controlled machines that have no flow, no passion, no heart. And you can tell when you meet them at Walmart. They're like robots. They're stiff. There's no love, no passion, no creativity, no, no, this is me and my walk with God. It's just like my pastor said so. You can feel that there's no evangelism in there. There's no cry out of the goodness of God. It's just like, I don't know anything. I just trust my man of God. Wait a minute. You have the Holy Ghost in you, but you don't know anything. You just trust the man of God. What, what's the point of preaching and teaching if the people in our church don't grow in knowledge and wisdom? What are we saying on Sundays? People
people should be growing in their revelation, growing in their knowledge, growing in their wisdom. When I get done preaching, I want people to leave out this place better than when they came in. You're not threatening me. I'm not scared of you. In fact, it's actually, it actually hurts me. If you're not growing, you're not wiser, you're not better. If you, if you need me more when I'm done preaching, I'm failing you as your pastor. You should need me less. The point of this is so you can be equipped to go out in this world and you can preach and you can teach and you can baptize. But we have let the spirit of dependency wreck churches because of our insecurities. Here's the logic. If I don't train anybody, they can't leave me because they don't know how to do anything without me. Kind of like, uh, let's see, how can I break it down for real, real world? Oh, how about this? You're getting older in your job and a new assistant comes in and you know they're probably ready to hire the new young assistant to take your place. But you still need five years before you can retire. And they tell you to train the new assistant. You know what you're tempted to do? To tell them how to do it all wrong. Because if they do a good job, they might take your job. Oh, there's the temptation right there. No wonder pastors don't want to have a good assistant pastors around. No wonder pastors don't want to have good leaders around preaching better than them. No wonder nobody wants anybody around that's doing a good job because it might steal the light from them. This now makes sense why you've got one good man and no one else that can contend. Because we operate through man's wisdom, through dependency, tricks, and tools, instead of through the Holy Ghost. We live insecure, and we're afraid, and we don't want to empower anybody because we're afraid that they'll steal our thunder. And this temptation must be fought against because this is bad for the church, and it's bad for evangelism. Insecure leaders need their followers to stay by their side at all times. But this is a symbol of having no trust. You want me to show you what no trust looks like? Never let anybody out of your sight. No trust. Trust is whenever they can leave and you still trust them. And whenever you've got leadership that says, you are never allowed to do this, go out of town, visit another church over here when you're out of town. No, 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 no. You stay right here. No trust. That's not a very fun life to live, is it? Always being told what to do all the time because of no trust. It's also a symbol of a lack of training. Whenever you have to everybody close to you all the time, it's a lack of training problem. So that's an indictment once again on you. They used to say, and maybe they still preach this way, I don't know, I guess, I guess they do. People used to preach, you know that church down the road is a bad church. You go there, you're going to go to hell. People say that. Now, that was probably less true 30 years ago. It's probably more true now <laughs> because everybody's changed the doctrine these days and it's, it's a lot lighter than it used to be. It used to be that, you know, everybody believed a lot more of the same thing. But now these days, man, you might have a Pentecostal church over here that believes a lot and then the, the church down the road that says Pentecostal believes nothing. So we are living in a day where you have to be careful. There's a lot of false doctrine. There's a lot of false prophets out there. And I have no problem telling you to be careful of false doctrine and false prophets because they're real and they're in Austin, Texas right now. I have no problem warning you. But here's what we can't do. We can't start doing this. Now, this over here, they, they're, they're messed up over there, so don't go there. This one over here, this one has this problem. And that one over there, you know what? Really, there's only one church left, ours. I guess you're just going to have to stay here forever. See the tactics of fear and insecurity? Is now you're bashing everybody else because you're scared that they'll find out you're not the best church in town. You know what is good for all of us? It's good for every church to think that the church across town is doing better than us. 
Because what happens whenever you think there's a church across town that's preaching the gospel the right way, living the right way, and having revival? It makes our church step up to match them. This is why there's a Home Depot beside a Lowe's. I'm preaching to somebody right now. It's called competition. And there's nothing wrong with the church being competitive in the sense that they're doing good, good. I'm glad they're doing good. We better do good too. But you know what? A pastor with no intention of being holier or more righteous or more productive wants to break down every other pastor in the city that's doing good. Because you have no intention of being a good pastor yourself. So you know what you do when you're insecure? Instead of trying to be the greatest guy in town, you just break everybody else down so you don't have to try. You get in your pulpit and say stuff like this. They're all going to hell. They're all charismatic. They're all ultra conservative. But right here, we're perfect. Well, it's much easier than having to have a prayer life as a pastor. It's much easier than having to actually bring a good word when you preach. It's much easier to bash everybody because you're insecure. You're scared that someone's going to leave you for somebody better. That's no way to live and no way to lead. And I hope that's not the case ever with any leaders in our church, ever for us. I refuse to pastor with a closed, closed hand. Everybody close your hand like this. Wherever you're watching, close your hand. I give credit to Brother Hargrove in Garland, a pastor in Garland, who years ago I was privileged to eat lunch with him. He told us a story about how he was praying about God uh, growing his church, and the Lord told him to put his hand out like this and close it. And the Lord told Brother Hargrove that this is how he's been pastoring, with a closed hand. And he said, you, you won't let anybody go. You're holding your crowd. He says, the problem with you having a closed fist and not letting anybody go is I can't put anybody in there. He said, open your hand up. He said, now people can leave when they want to. But, so can, but now so can I can bring people in when I want to. The Lord told him that day as a pastor that you need to live with an open hand. Because if you live with an open hand concept that God will bring what you need and take what you don't. And we as the under shepherds must submit to him and say, Lord, you control the movement of the flock. You move people, you set them up, you bring them down. It is not my job to hold you and it's not my job to force you and to kick you out. It's his job. It's my job to love you and my job to advise you. And it's your job to make the call. Now, understand, understand, when you step out on your own and make that call, you are making that call. And all the things that go with it, it's on you. That's why most people over the years have said, listen to your pastor, because you want that support and covering to make sure it's over you so that you're not off on your own doing your own thing. We need to live with an open hand. Insecure pastors say things like this. I'll pray for all the guests at church. None of y'all lay hands on them. I'm scared you might mess it up. Good job training, pastor. Good job teaching your people. They say things like this. I'll preach to your family. You can't do Bible studies. I'll come over and do them. Insecure. Can't grow the kingdom like that. I'll baptize your coworkers. You don't baptize anybody. That's for holy men only. Don't you ever baptize somebody. Because there's a scripture that says only certain people can... Oh, wait, no, there's not. But anyway, I'll just add that in. This is insecure pastors leading by dependency. It's actually borderline Old Testament. You have to have a priest. Never ever read that before? It's kind of scary. 
because whenever you have this dependency leadership, you force all your people to go through you on everything. You micromanage them as if you're the priest. But I, I read in my Bibles where Jesus is our high priest. In fact, I also read where we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. You know what that means? That you don't have to go through another man all the time, but you have a direct access to God. I want to encourage somebody and tell you right now, there's so many things God wants to speak through you and do through you. And as long as you are submitted to the pastor in your life and to God and you're walking in the truth, you'd be surprised at what the Holy Ghost can do through your hands, through your lips, through your ministry, at your homes. You are not giving yourself enough credit. If you've got the same Holy Ghost in me, then there's so many great things that you can accomplish for the kingdom but you've been held back because of fear god i don't want them to be great what if what if they're greater than me another reason why i just felt the check in my spirit another reason why pastors would not want their saints to grow spiritually is because they'd be threatened by them because they're personally not growing spiritually you know it's embarrassing whenever you find out someone in your church memorized the bible and you didn't well i guess i better start memorizing the bible Hey, pastor, I went on a fast. And you're like, well, I don't fast. Some pastors will never teach and preach things because they're scared people will do them, and then they'll have to do them. Like, I can't, I can't be like, let's get rid of te televisions if I haven't done it, right? So one of the reasons why pastors will not push their people and train them is because they don't want to live a life that's higher. So they just make it lax for everyone in their church. This is scary. Yep, excuse me, but, but I know, I know that when saints remain ignorant, the pastor remains the only powerful person in the room. All of y'all are going to be ignorant. I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach something weak and watered down every Sunday. I don't want anybody being powerful because if you're all powerful, well, well, that's going to threaten me and I'm an insecure leader and I want to live, I want to lead by, by dependency. And so what happens is whenever your saints become ignorant and the saints are powerless, then the only person that's powerful in the local church is the pastor. That model of church growth does not work. It is proven fact that if you will grow a church, you will need more than a pastor that's powerful in that body. You will have to have people on your team that are anointed, full of the Holy Ghost, and doing the work of the ministry. There is no growing church right now where just the pastor all by himself is anointed. There has to be some catalyst where the pastor blesses that man and the pastor's wife blesses that woman and then that man blesses that man. This is the way the kingdom of God was set up. A transfer of authority, a transfer of sending to where we grow and replicate ourselves to other people. This is the way Jesus set up the church. Not to be dependent, but to be submissive. Submission gives power to its followers. But dependency gives power to its leader. I can't do anything without you, Pastor. I just, I'm just a simple saint. This is not the will of God. This mentality shouldn't be in our churches. I've decided this. In this battle of Austin, Texas, to fight against the spirit and prince of the city, I have learned this. I do not want to be the only one fighting that spirit. <laughs> I have learned firsthand that if you are the type of leader who likes to do things by yourself, there will come a devil one day knocking on your door that you wish to God you had not, you had not kept your people 
foolish and ignorant in the dark on the ways of the Spirit. There'll come a day when you would have wished they were fasting and would have wished they were powerful and wished they had a move of God in their personal home. There's going to come a day in every church where you need more than just a pastor on fire and praying and working because there are multiple demons. There needs to be multiple fighters in the church house. There should be multiple people with prayer warrior spirits on them because we can't fight this by ourselves. We need to empower the saints of God to step up and fight with us. So I want to wrap it up by telling you, first, it's followers. Second, we are sent. Following first, we are sent second. You see, you can be submitted and sent at the same time. In fact, being sent is part of your submission. Because if you're told to leave, you have to go. So to be sent is part of your submission. So sending implies submission. So if you're sent, you're submitted. Hey, where are you going? Well, I'm leaving. Why? I was told to. So there's a way to leave that's not rebellious. And the way that you leave that's not rebellious is to be sent. So submission and sending go hand in hand. You have to make sure that you're in submission and a part of that is eventually to be sent out from your training to work in the ministry. So in order to be sent, you have to be in submission to the sender. This is how it works. We teach submission, but I want to ask, where is the sending if we have submission? The reason why there's no sending is because there's no submission. And until the church learns submission, it will never see sending. Because you don't send people you don't trust. No wonder there's no evangelism. Evangelism stands on top of submission. You can't, you can't send people you don't believe in. You can't send people that have not been trained. You can't send people that are not first followers. So if we don't learn how to have submission in the church, we'll never have evangelism in the church. Until we learn to get people to be in submission, we will have no one to send. So it's all of our jobs right now to make sure we have a culture of submission because you draw from the pool of submission to send people to do great missions. That's why it's called submission. Submission. Submission being under the mission. On the mission. This is the purpose of the word. Submission. Insecurity will not send anybody. Insecurity has kept a thumb on the followers long enough. But while I am forcing you to stay beside me as an insecure leader who rules by dependency, you are only able to reach the same people I am reaching because we're in the same circle. But when a leader in a church has submission and sending, you can reach people in bubbles and family units that I will never touch, I will never see, I will never talk to. In fact, just this Friday coming up, Brother Rhodes is preaching a funeral of his own brother. And I'm not preaching that funeral. I may not could fit in that room because there's a limited space, but I'm so glad there's a brother that can preach for his brother and all his family. I'm so glad there's somebody besides me who can preach because if I'm the only preacher, I can't save anybody but those in my circle. God, help us have ascending. Help us have people ready to go preach this gospel. Can I calm everyone down right now who's thinking, well, my word, he's going to be sending everyone out. People came back. Sending is not permanent. Sending is temporary. 
In fact, in our church culture, we send you out every Sunday, every Sunday and every Wednesday. And you come right back. This is not all about going to Africa. This is not all about, well, the pastor sent me to Africa. The pastor sent me over here to Yugoslavia. This is, this is, see, when everybody thinks sending, you're thinking like, like, oh, well, I guess I'm getting ready. Pastor's going to train me and send me to some other country. This, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting out of the church building. I'm talking about getting out of, away from your pastor long enough to baptize somebody I can't baptize. I'm talking about your Thanksgiving dinner where I will never see those people that you love. You have got to let the oracle of God not just be me, but be you. You've got to take the chains off of you, take the limitations off of you, and keep quit saying, well, if I, the pastor was here, then we would have revival. That's not the will of God, and we're hurting evangelism by not letting you loose to preach, to work. We have to make sure you understand that we need to have a sending. If people need your sending to do the work, don't you think it makes sense that they will need your connection to sustain the work? I am not concerned about people going out if I send them. I am not worried about them going rogue because if I send them, then they'll need me for sustaining if I am the reason they're gone, then wouldn't it make sense that they'll stay in contact with me to stay on top of what they're battling? We are a team, and I'm still on your side, even when I'm not in your home. I'm still rooting for you, even if we're in different countries. We're the body of Christ, the family of God. I don't have to be beside you to trust you, to work with you, and for us to have revival every second of the day. What God did was God showed me in the middle of this pandemic that we can't be together, but we will have revival. We may not get gathered, but we will, we will have revival. And when this thing started and we started doing this thing, we had baptism after baptism after baptism, and I couldn't be there. And I'm so glad that we have people in the church that know how to dunk somebody in water in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad there are people that are ready to baptize whosoever will. Let him not be forbidden the water that to baptize them. I'm thankful for a church that's ready to step up and go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. How about baptisms? I'm so glad that I, as a pastor, don't have to choose between submission and sending. I can have both at the same time. The sending is powered by the submission. The sending does not separate the follower from the sender. In fact, the opposite is true. When a follower is sent, the sent takes the authority of the sender with them. Because you go in the name of of the one who sent you. How many times did Jesus say it like that? He said, I'm doing what my father sent me to do. Yeah. Your father is not far. Your father is no more visible or no less visible than when you go do what he called you to do. Do you want to see the father? Then see Jesus. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're not by yourself when you're sent. In fact, when you're sent, the one that sent you is with you. You're never alone when you're sent because he who sent you will go with you. You're not out of submission. You're still in submission while you're sent. Amen. All right, this is the best part. Remember what David said to the giant Goliath before their big battle to the death? Goliath yells out in King James vernacular, your dead meat. Look, you have nothing to beat me with. I'm going to squash you like baby bug. I'm going to kill you. That's probably how he sounded. There's like 4,000 movies about it, and none of them have been that good. 
till the night, but that's probably exactly the vernacular of Philistine people. If you go look it up in the, in the Greek, it says Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so that's what, it, that's what it says in the Greek, that speak like him, and that's the language. So, so Goliath yells out, I'm going I'm to, you're toast, you're done. I'm going to beat you to smithereens. I'm going to kill you. And David responds. I mean, the dude's got a rock and a, and a sling, so he's not very macho. But, then, but he responds, you come to me with a sword and a shield. I, I come to you in the name of the Lord. <laughs> you see, Goliath messed up because Goliath thought he was by himself. But Goliath didn't know that when you're sent, you're not alone. Goliath didn't know that anybody, no matter how small you are, that when you're sent by a big God, you're not by yourself. But when you go in the name of the Lord, you go with the Lord, with the authority of the Lord, and anything God wants done will be done through you. All you've got to do is go. All you've got to do is get up. All you have to do is run. Because God will be with you, David. Yeah. Goliath is not afraid of you, little boy. Goliath is afraid of who sent you. <laughs> Goliath's not afraid of that stone. And Goliath's not afraid of that little shepherd boy. But Goliath, after he died, I guarantee you, he's afraid of the name of the Lord. And if you want to be sent, get in submission to the name of the Lord. Get the name on you. And when the name is on you, the name will go with you. And when God sends you, he will fight for you. Oh, yeah, the stories in the Bible are riddled with stories and moments of people who did not qualify, but God was with them. Shouldn't you be the same? Shouldn't every saint, every member of every church filled with the Holy Ghost with the name on them, shouldn't you be the same? Shouldn't you be like David? It's time that we start making everybody David and not just the pastor. Because yeah. everybody thinks the pastor is the one in the church that's going to kill the giant. But in that story... Saul was the king, and he was hiding. So why don't we be contextual? Why don't we be real tonight? Sometimes it's the David that goes and is sent in the name of the Lord that kills the giant. But we have not empowered people because the spirit of Saul is jealous. The spirit of Saul wants to keep the kingdom without the submission. And this is why there are so many people who are not stepping up to the calling and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Because once again, kings are ruining. Kings are ruining kingdoms. I'm not your king. I can't be a king. We learned that in the story of David. God said, you want a king? He'll rule over you like a boss. He said, I thought you had a king. God said, I thought I was your king. Men are not our kings. Men are not our kings. We have a king. Jesus is our king. We are sent by him. We're sent for him. Everything we do is because of him. It's all in him. Jesus, and it's time for every one of you to understand you're no longer at Austin First Church. Beat down. Called to nothing. Said you're nothing because you don't have a white shirt on and a tie. 
with a side part and a big Bible in your hand, the stigmas are removed. If you are a prayer warrior, if you fast, if you're in submission, if you are reading your Bible and you're studying your Bible and you're asking questions and learning and growing intently and seriously, then you are qualified right now to preach and teach this gospel. You might not be the greatest in the kingdom, but we need you now, David, to rise up and to go in the name of the Lord because there are giants out there that you could kill if just somebody would believe in you. The job of the prophet is to believe in the unbelievable. And every pastor needs to have the spirit of a prophet to see what does not make sense. And that's what prophecy does. Prophecy sees the potential in weak things. God, I pray that as a pastor, I have the ability to put the king down long enough in me the leader in me down long enough to trust you that when you see potential in people in this church that I will not talk you out of it that when I don't see the logic in it I don't see the experience in it that I will have enough faith to hear your voice when you start to call people like Victoria and Mark and Ashley and Marissa and Matthew and Dulce and Brother Gary and Keller and Paige and Jose and Isaac when I look out here I want to see people and see potential it may not make sense but to God he runs the church. He grows the church, not me. I have to flow in the Holy Ghost. So we remove the stigmas off of what we call people of God. And we go with the Word of God. And we rule through submission. Submission makes me not have to be the bad guy. Because you're submitted. <laughs> you can't have a bad day in a church with a submitted group of people. This is the key. Submission is for sending. We must be submissive and not be dependent on our pastor. Go forth in Jesus' name and do something with what God has given you. Do something with the preaching I give to you every Wednesday and Sunday. Do something with the phone calls and the text and the Facebook posts. Do something with it because the purpose of our ministry is to empower you, not to kill you, not to beat you down, not to make you think you can't make it. Our goal of our ministry is to correct you, to train you, and to send you into a world that needs your voice, needs your ministry, needs your hands, needs all your gifts and talents. Let's leave the church house and let's make a way for God to bless this world. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every person who's been hurt because of a leader who thought they had to beat people down to gain control. We have gone against the scripture if we have done this. And I pray in the name of Jesus for healing for people who have been hurt. People that didn't know why their pastor could be so spiritual and treat them like that. They probably had good intentions. They wanted to keep things in control. But the truth is, we didn't look to your example. Your example is so clear. We are supposed to be like you. We're supposed to not be harboring and pain over the people of God as taskmasters. And I pray that there's people right now that are listening that have been hurt and damaged by this style of leadership that never trained them, never trusted them, never let them out of their sight, God. I hope they understand that men are just men. Men of God are men. They make mistakes, they have fears, and they work through man's wisdom and tactics. But Lord, we repent tonight, and we're sorry for what people have done, and we're going to start again. 
And I encourage right now in the Holy Ghost to let people, if they don't live around there, to go to this church, I encourage them to find a church. Find a church. Seek. Don't stop. Because there are good men. There are men they can trust. Men that will train them. Men that will love them. Good pastors, good leaders out there. They'll find a church. Help us, God, at Austin First Church. Continue to be what we preach. And help every leader of every department, every leader of every department, every worship leader, every person in any spotlight capacity where people watch them, help them to be a submissive leader with submissive people under their teams, not lording over them, not trying to hurt them, but trying to love them as you would have us to love them. These are your people. These are your sheep, Jesus. Thank you for your word tonight. I pray it's a blessing. And I pray the blessings of God over home, over life, every sick person, every person battling right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Jesus. I'm sending you right now in Jesus' name from your couches, recliners, dining room tables to go into work, go into life and be the light of Jesus to somebody because I can't go. I can't go. It's not possible. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Say I will go.